welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're going to focus on Tajikistan, a small mountainous country in Central Asia that shares a long border and deep cultural ties with Afghanistan. For many years, USERF has been deeply concerned about religious freedom conditions in Central Asia generally, and more recently, the impact of the Taliban's rise to power in Afghanistan on the surrounding region. Last year, USERV held a hearing on religious regulation in Russia and Central Asia and released a report on the abuse of extremism and terrorism laws in Tajikistan and the consequences for religious freedom. Since 2012, USERV has recommended that the State Department designate Tajikistan a country of particular concern in response to the government's increasing repression following the passage of a strict religion law in 2009. The State Department followed this recommendation in 2016 for the first time and has designated Tajikistan as a CPC every year since. Now, today, in addition to surveying general conditions in the country, we're going to discuss how recent developments in neighboring Afghanistan potentially complicate religious freedom conditions in Tajikistan and explore the danger of using security challenges to curb religious freedom. We welcome to the podcast today, USERF Senior Policy Analyst, Jason Morton, to discuss these issues in much more detail. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Dwight. Yes, and we realize, hey, you've been on this uh, podcast a few times now, and we're very happy to have you back with all your deep knowledge of in Central Asia and Russia. Before we turn to more recent developments, can you give our audience a sense of the religious landscape in Tajikistan so people uh, understand a little bit better? Yeah, so uh, the population of Tajikistan, uh, like many countries in, in the region, is predominantly Sunni Muslim, around 86%. Yet this doesn't really necessarily mean that 86% of the country is observant, yet alone particularly pious. Uh, there's a strong link be- between ethnic Tajik identity and Hanafi Islam. Conversion to a different religion does tend to carry the stigma of abandoning or being ashamed of Tajik culture. Uh, The stigma also applies to practicing Islam in a way perceived to be foreign. Uh, As part of a broader campaign to circumscribe and and control religious practice, the government dedicated the year 2009 to Abu Hanifa, who was the founder of the Hanafi School of Sunni Islamic Jurisprudence, um, further reinforcing the regional variant of Hanafi Islam as as really the official religious doctrine or policy of, of Tajikistan. Uh, In the same year, Tajikistan banned Salafism, which is a strict interpretation of Islam that seeks to strip the religion of perceived innovations and return to a perceived pure practice based on that of the Prophet Muhammad and his early followers. In reality, Salafism is actually a very diverse and complicated religious phenomenon, uh, but the the law in Tajikistan does not really define it clearly and broadly associates all extremism and Salafism. This effectively enables the government to target a wide variety of peaceful Islamic practice that nevertheless doesn't conform with its own very strictly controlled version. 
What we see in Tajikistan is, is really a situation in which the dominant religion of Sunni Islam is the primary target of government persecution. Yusuf and the international religious freedom community in general do tend to focus a lot of our energy on the plight of religious minorities, and you know this is understandable. Uh, but in many countries like Tajikistan, uh, it is really the dominant religion that faces the most difficulties, and this is really an important dynamic to be aware of. Although Tajikistan is a majority Muslim country, the government of Tajikistan is really militantly secular, and the legacy of Soviet atheism is still strong, uh, particularly in, in the cities. People may identify culturally as Muslim, but many are not comfortable with the sight of bearded young men or women in hijabs. And again, I'm talking primarily about in the cities. And while not everything in former Soviet countries can or really should be understood as part of that Soviet legacy, again, there's a lot of historical diversity and, and, and ethnic diversity, uh, but in, in terms of its approach to religion and religious regulation, the Soviet legacy in Tajikistan is really undeniable. President Emomali Rahman has effectively ruled the country since it gained independence from the Soviet Union, where he began his political career as a collective farm chairman and a later people's deputy to the Supreme Soviet of the Tajik Soviet Socialist Republic. His approach to religious regulation draws heavily on that context Officially controlled religious institutions are privileged by the state, while religiosity is generally discouraged and non-official interpretations are, are persecuted. In addition to the Sunni majority, about 4% of the population is Ismaili Shia Muslim. Uh, these are mostly ethnic Pamiris living in the extremely mountainous eastern half of the country, which is known as the Gorno-Badakhshan Autonomous Oblast. Government control in this area is very limited, and there are few reports of religious persecution, uh, at, you know, as, as far as we, as we hear. The remaining 10% of the population includes a variety of faiths, including Russian Orthodox, Protestants, Catholics, Buddhists, Jews, Baha'is, and Zoroastrians. And many of these smaller communities do report you know, a, a constant anxiety about and perceived need to hide their religious affiliation. Jason, you mentioned the uh, government of Tajikistan targets uh, the majority Sunni Muslims, obviously, who adhere to majority faith in the country, while at the same time privileging uh, official Hanafi Islamic institutions, one of the four primary schools within Sunni Islam. So on the surface, this, this appears to be a confusing dynamic. What's the reality on the ground? And can you unpack this and explain the situation in a bit more detail for us? Sure, yeah, it can be confusing. Um... The government really began cracking down on religion in general, beginning in about 2009. And that was the year that Tajikistan passed uh, its law on freedom of conscience and religious unions, which set onerous registration requirements, criminalized unregistered religious activity, private religious education and proselytism, set strict limits on the number and size of mosques, allowed state interference with the appointment of the imams and the content of sermons, uh, and imposed state controls on the content, publication, and import of religious materials. And while all religions suffer under this system, Islam is particularly singled out by the government. 
In 2010, Tajikistan increased government control of the Islamic Council, which is the dominant Muslim institution in the country. Uh, in 2011, the state began to dictate the content of Friday sermons, often devoting them to praise of the Rahman regime. Uh, in a move that prompted the resignation of numerous influential clerics, driving many of them underground. A 2011 law on parental responsibility banned minors from any organized religious activity except for funerals. And since 2014, the state has paid the salaries of, of the most prominent imams and even required them to wear state manufactured religious garments. Uh, imams have been compelled to finance facilities for the ruling party. Uh, they've been you know, instructed to restore statues of Lenin and have to undergo official examinations about their knowledge of, of Tajik history and culture. And at the same time, the government targets expressions of Islamic piety among the general populace. In 2015, a regional official boasted that over the course of the year, his authorities had identified, fingerprinted, and shaved nearly 13,000 bearded young men. The government has forcibly shaved or denied passports to thousands more in subsequent years. And local reports uh, that officials stop women wearing hijabs, record their personal information, and force them to wear their headscarves in the you know, supposedly Tajik fashion, which is a much shorter headscarf and it's pulled back to reveal a certain amount of hair. Uh, these are ongoing. According to official statistics, in 2017 alone, Tajikistani authorities closed about 1,938 mosques. And there's a concerted government campaign to reduce the number of mosques, which has continued since then. Authorities routinely convert mosques to movie theaters, cafes, garment factories, and other public facilities. And those mosques that do remain open are frequently outfitted with security cameras that allow government surveillance of attendance and the content of sermons. And the government periodically conducts mass arrests and interrogations of Islamic leaders, including prominent Sufi Muslim clerics and many who have received religious education abroad. So clearly a, a very systematic campaign over the last decade or so. You know, one of the things that strikes me here is that, you know, you say that the government unfairly targets peaceful religious practice as extremism. Uh, why do they use the guise of extremism to crack down uh, on religious practice they don't like? Uh, do they think it can lead to extremism? And that, and that kind of begs the question, is there an actual threat of extremism and terrorism in Tajikistan? Because you did, you also mentioned that you know uh, when you start uh, limiting what they can say in sermons, that may drive people underground. But it would be very helpful if you could give us a sense of what what is the state of play regarding terrorist activity and extremist uh, activity in the country. Yeah, so I mean, the policy is is sort of predicated on this idea that there's a need to fight extremism and terrorism, and that those things you know, are a threat to the country. And in reality, you know, unfortunately, there is a genuine security threat in Tajikistan. Um, but accusations of extremism and terrorism, you know, which enable the government to receive funding from from abroad, um, and you know, really easily justify all sorts of of uh, authoritarian practices. 
these are widely abused. Um, in, two, in July, you know, at the same time, these are a real threat. So, I mean, it's you have to walk kind of a fine line between these two things. In July 2018, for example, four Western cyclists were killed in a brutal attack for which the Islamic State subsequently claimed responsibility. And the, the militant group also claimed responsibility for two prison riots in November 2018 and May 2019, in which dozens of inmates and several guards were killed. Uh, on May 27th, 2015, a man named Colonel Gulmarat Halimov, who is the commander of an elite police unit in the Ministry of Internal Affairs of Tajikistan, uh, defected to ISIS and released a video swearing allegiance to them. And as a highly trained officer with intimate knowledge of Tajikistan's security infrastructure, Khalimov's defection was a devastating blow to the country and a real boon to the Islamic State terrorists. In an online message, Khalimov claims to have been radicalized uh, through observing and participating in the government's campaign against Islam which he equated you know, with democracy and called on Tajikistani citizens to combat democracy by joining the Islamic State. And really by leading Halimov to conflate democracy with anti-religious authoritarianism, the government's policies have been counterproductive. They've contributed to a dynamic in which all opposition uh, is more readily equated with violent extremism. And this is obviously a huge problem. Uh, it's only exacerbated by the growing threat of the Taliban in neighboring Afghanistan. You know, the Taliban has long maintained relations with Tajik Islamist militants in Afghanistan, many of whom have fought alongside of them. And this includes members of a group called Jamaat Ansrullah, whose Tajik commander, Mohammad Sharifov, has allegedly been placed in charge of security in the provinces bordering Tajikistan uh, since the Taliban takeover. And under these circumstances, the government's ongoing abuse of extremism and terrorism charges is extremely dangerous and arguably unsustainable. Uh, those targeted with, with charges of extremism and terrorism include journalists like Daler Sharipov, uh, secular news outlets like Akhbor, and elderly, you know, 70 plus year old men like uh, Jehovah's Witness Shamil Hakimov who Vice Chair Nuri Turkel at USERF advocates through USERF's Religious Prisoners of Conscience Project. Um, those charged also include the Islamic Renaissance Party of Tajikistan, uh, a moderate and popular Islamist party that represented the only effective political opposition in the country before it was banned as a terrorist group in 2015. This despite pushback from the international community, including the U.S. government, who found no evidence that the Islamic Renaissance Party uh, had any violent plans, participated in violence, or um, anything like that. And now charges of belonging to the group are routinely used to imprison political opponents of the regime. Uh, and the government even tried to initially blame the bicycle attack that the Islamic State took credit for, they tried to blame that on the Islamic Renaissance Party. So you can see how these extremism charges are abused and, and ultimately, uh, you know, in a very, very dangerous and ineffective way. The widespread misuse of these charges waters down the real threat posed by extremism and terrorism. By reducing the religious sphere to a confrontation between you know, 
quote unquote, good government sponsored Islam and a host of bad extremists, uh, quote unquote extremists, the government risks diminishing the perceived threat of real violent extremism. And the more that official Islamic institutions are equated with a corrupt and repressive government, the less legitimacy that these institutions are going to have in society, potentially leading people underground or to the darkest corners of the internet in search of you know, an authentic religious engagement. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes a lot of sense. You know, you mentioned the threat posed by the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. How have recent developments in Afghanistan affected religious freedom conditions in Tajikistan? Events in Afghanistan are a major concern of the Tajikistani government, as they really are for the entire region. Uh, it is particularly poignant for Tajikistan because of the cross-border connections. Unlike other Central Asian countries, which are largely Turkic-speaking, Tajiks are Persian-speaking and have deep cultural ties with the Persephone world, including Afghanistan. Tajiks are actually the second largest ethnic group in Afghanistan, and there are more ethnic Tajiks in Afghanistan than there are in Tajikistan, uh, you know, almost 11 million in Afghanistan versus about 7 million in Tajikistan. Unlike many of its neighbors, Tajikistan is harshly critical of the Taliban and says it will refuse to recognize a government that does not include a representative proportion of Tajiks. Um, Rahman's political stock has risen in the country recently because of this crisis, as he stokes nationalist sentiment by positioning himself as a defender of the Tajik people and an enemy of Taliban-style religious extremism. Last month, Tajikistan actually designated the famous anti-Taliban leader, Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was an ethnic Tajik assassinated by Al-Qaeda on um, September 9th, 2001, just before the September 11th attacks, they've, uh, Tajikistan has designated him as a national hero of Tajikistan. Tajikistani citizens have declared their willingness in recent weeks to uh, fight in the Panjshir Valley, which is the last anti-Taliban holdout under the leadership of Massoud's son, who's also named Ahmad Massoud, also an ethnic Tajik. Tangible aid, though, is really less forthcoming. Although Tajikistan initially claimed that it would accept up to 100,000 refugees from Afghanistan, it has shown few signs that it will follow through and has actually actively turned back many who have crossed seeking asylum. The government is unlikely to host large numbers of refugees, many of whom are more conservative and religious than the typical Tajik from Tajikistan, and who could easily include actual terrorists from groups like ISIS-K or Jamaat Ansrullah, who seek to overthrow the Rahman regime. In recent days, the Tajikistani government has allegedly received reports that members of Jamaat Ansrullah are seeking opportunities to infiltrate the country. And at the same time, there's sort of added pressure from Russia, which is actively discouraging Central Asian states like Tajikistan, uh, with whom it shares you know, open border agreements. It's discouraging them from hosting refugees or even allowing them to transit the country. Wow. So, there, so there's clearly a, a lot of complicating factors here. And, and, you know, we can't forget these these connections, long, long time connections, uh, language, culture and so on between uh, Tajikistan, and Afghanistan. Uh, and of course, going back to the Persian Empire and present day Iran, uh, given all these developments uh, and what's happened in Afghanistan and the pressures there. 
what can the United States international community do uh, to advance and uh, try to help improve religious freedom conditions in Tajikistan? As far as USERP is concerned, our recommendations really remain the same, uh, but they're definitely complicated by the new realities. We're going to continue to recommend Tajikistan as a country of particular concern to the U.S. State Department, and even more importantly, to call for the U.S. to remove the national security waiver, which negates any punitive consequences resulting from that designation. This waiver really only allows the Rahman regime to abuse religious freedom in the name of security, and we firmly believe that this is a losing strategy in the long term that's only exacerbating the problem. Contemporary research demonstrates that religious violence and acts of terrorism are not primarily motivated by exposure to religion or a result of religious theology. More often, they're linked to specific grievances, especially the perception or experience of faith-based discrimination. Studies show that increased religious freedom actually diminishes the relative influence of radical groups by exposing individuals to a variety of messages and perspectives. Violent jihadis, for example, consistently demonstrate low levels of knowledge about actual Islamic thought and doctrine. Effective U.S. government engagement with Tajikistan should emphasize the importance of religious freedom to sustainable security. And our recommendations are going to continue to reflect that. Uh, we urge the U.S. to condition all security assistance to Tajikistan. You know, we definitely think that the U.S. should continue to provide assistance to, to Tajikistan, but they should condition that on the reform of its restrictive religion laws, and that we should, the U.S. government should sanction officials guilty of international religious freedom abuses, and continue to seek the release of peaceful religious prisoners. Well, unfortunately, I have to leave it right here, but a lot of food for thought, a lot of uh, ideas there as far as U.S. policy. Um, I want to thank USERF Senior Policy Analyst Jason Morton for his deep insights today. As always, you can find USERF's reporting on Tajikistan and our latest policy recommendations, some of which were discussed today, on our website at www.uscirf.gov. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERV Spotlight. To learn more about USERV and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERV Spotlight.